Hey Curiosphere, this is Pratham here. And this is Suruj. So on this channel, we discuss our thoughts and have a deep talk on an intriguing topic and see where the conversation takes us. So today we're going to discuss about the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, which is the cool new shiny telescope built by NASA, ESA and CSA. It's the grand poobah of the telescopes, if you will. Uh, so before we get into all the good stuff, uh, just for those of you not familiar with it, it's a space-based telescope and it's going to be deployed at the Lagrange 2 point, which is one and a half million kilometers away from Earth, uh, away from the direction of the sun. And so what you see on your screen is the telescope itself and it's like half as big as a 737 aircraft and about the size of a tennis court. It's got a lot of new technology, a lot of complex equipment and a lot of uh, effort gone into it since it's being built in from the last 25 years by a plethora of scientists and engineers and astronomers. And uh, yeah, it might interest you to know, to understand how grand of a project this is, that it costed around $10 billion so far. And when it's going to be launched, it's going to be deployed in space. And the telescope itself, the one that you see before you on the screen, is going to unfold uh, in space. So we're not going to launch it like that. It's kind of going to fold in like an origami paper and be sent in a rocket. And then when the rocket splits and the telescope starts moving towards the L2 point, it's slowly going to unfold in a variety of steps, uh, like a sequence following each other. And needless to say that each of those is super delicate and has to go perfectly for the telescope to be functional. So yeah, uh, so Suraj, what do you think about this project? Yeah. Uh... I mean, it's, I think, one of the biggest space telescopes we've ever sent and biggest uh, project by NASA. Not just NASA, like, as you mentioned, it's by Canadian Space Agency and also the European Space Agency. So I'm really excited for that. And mostly because of the capabilities of it and what it hopes to achieve. Basically, whenever they send out telescopes like this, like, they have a specific purpose. So if you know about Hubble... Hubble was recording in visible light. So all those beautiful images that uh, we see of, uh, say, the pillars of creation or all those beautiful nebula gas clouds, it's by uh, Hubble. And um, because it records in visible spectrum, the thing that differentiates uh, James Webb Telescope is it's not a replacement for Hubble. Uh, of course, it has uh, cameras and it, it too can take beautiful images. But mostly it records in uh, infrared spectrum. That's one of the electromagnetic waves, which is below right. uh, yeah, visible light. So I guess uh, the main purpose of this is to peer into the early universe, like when the initial galaxies were being born. Because when that was being born, it was releasing UV or even X-ray. And we have come so far and the universe has expanded so much that it has gotten redshifted through UV, visible, and now to... Um, to IR and we are seeing that IR race basically so we are peering through time right. to see the yeah uh, the birth of the first galaxies yeah and I think that that's what forms like such an exciting part of why this telescope is uh, you know so grand and and why scientists are so excited about what it's gonna do because it's almost like walking into a room that no one's ever been in before and suddenly switching on the lights exactly and that kind of gives you an idea of 
you know like like there isn't much of what they are able to say about what can be expected because that light has never been analyzed before and it literally like you said gives us insight into the early universe and how things began so it's pretty exciting but i also wanted to kind of you know uh, talk about how the telescope kind of works that way and mm-hmm. i think the first thing noticeable at least when i came across the telescope first years back was the gold plated mirrors on it the 18 mirrors uh, the highly efficient ones and it spans about i think 6.5 meters in diameter yeah so the re- the reason that why that's important is because it's like a bucket any telescope the mirror itself is like a bucket that collects light so it's like the bigger bucket you had the more water drops you can collect right similarly the bigger bucket you have the more photons you can collect and the bigger the telescope the better it will function the better the clarity of the final images will be it'll collect more light and so that's if if we were to compare it to the hubble which is around only 2 i think 2 2 1/2 meters in diameter the james webb space telescope is like 6 and a half meters in diameter so it's a huge telescope and the first of its kind for a space telescope yeah the, that's completely true i think i heard them saying it's going to be able to see a bumblebee on moon from earth i saw that too <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm going to just expand on that a little bit so basically so if there was a bumblebee on the moon somewhere on its surface right there standing on your street you would be able to see it study its light and analyze it that's how precise the jwst is so i mean just imagine like the moon okay we think of it as just a major structure but like it is pretty big and if it were divided into countries and cities and in the city on some random in the, in the town on some random street there's a bumblebee buzzing around and you'll be able to see the light from that insect so it's pretty cool i think that's what kind of gets me exciting is the precision of the telescope yeah it's pretty crazy and i think the other thing uh, that this telescope does is that um, it helps us hunt for exoplanets know about that yep yep so just to give some context exoplanets are any planets that orbit any star apart from our sun of course so this james webb telescope can be like hunt for those exoplanets and see if there are signs of life also probably because until now what we can do is spot the planets and uh, probably see where it is compared to the star see its speed its orbital motions and all that but mostly a james webb telescope will add another dimension to it by observing as uh, its atmospheric compositions because it's an ir telescope it can um, uh, you know just capture that image spread it uh, through that uh, spectrum it's like it will look like a rainbow and then spot which chemical compounds are there which molecules are there and based on that we can probably see if there could be life uh, on other planets so that's another interesting aspect right and i i also wanted to kind of just elaborate a little bit on that um, as to how it does that uh, you know spectroscopically so basically whenever light passes through a gas certain wavelengths uh, of it get absorbed by that gas molecules and so they will be missing uh, in the light that you analyze after it is passed through so for example if i if you gave me some light and i analyzed it and if it had those wavelengths missing missing i could guess that that light had passed through that gas or in other words if i analyze the star's yeah. light and it seems to have those wavelengths missing 
then I can predict that yes, the, there must be a planet over there through its atmosphere this light is passing and has that wavelength missing. So in that atmosphere, that gas must be present. And based on the temperature, radius and other uh, bulk features and data that we know of or gather, we can make predictions about its uh, composition, its, about its atmospheric composition, about its uh, ground composition, about you know various other things like features or um, geological features and other things. So I think that's one of the yeah. thing, first things that fascinated me about astronomy and light is when I found this out because we were studying about this and I had no idea that it had its applications. So like it's such a simple thing uh, once you discover that principle and look at the scale that we are kind of using these things on and discovering. So that for me is pretty exciting. Exactly. So I, I still remember like in love and standard, I, I was made to do all these experiments in physics class, but I never knew what it could be used for. So I was just thinking they're just being pedantic about <laughs> this very <laughs> small, tiny details about light and the gas and all this. But yeah, now I can see like how big the application for it is. Yeah. Yeah. And for you, like what, what excites you the most about this mission? Hmm. Mostly, it's, uh, I think it would be if we can find signs of life. That's one thing. But uh, I think most of all, I would like to see or discover. I keep saying me, but uh, I would like the scientists to discover something <laughs> which they have never thought of or even discovered before. Exactly. Like which they had never planned to the discover. Unknown. Exactly. So if we can. And I, I think with any missions like with Hubble or like with whatever we send out there and uh, we mostly discover something which we didn't intend to find and that probably changes how we see things or like deepen our understanding in that subject matter or create a new subject matter entirely. Yeah, and, and speaking of creating something new entirely, like, uh, you know, I was just going through some of the information on the NASA website and you know, they were explaining how like so many new technologies got created just for this mission. And they were engineered and created just mm. for this. Uh, like, for example, even the mirrors on the 18 mirrors, uh, the primary mirrors, they have such mi like microscopic movement that they, they have mechanical arms on the underside of those mirrors that can control the movement of the mirror like to the precision of microns. So, like, when it's, like mm. I said, when it's going to be launched and deployed, it's going to be kind of folded. And through the deployment process, it's going to unfold. And after it unfolds and reaches that Lagrange point where it's supposed to orbit with the Earth, uh, it's going to, like through a precise series of sequence of movements, the mirror is going to perfectly align itself to the secondary mirror and form that perfect, uh, you know, concave kind of shape. So th that is one example of the kind of technology that it harbors. Yeah. And I think like mostly um, engineering is probably underrated in such endeavors. Like mostly the scientist gets the uh, lead and they are at the front of everything. But the engineering of this is so complex and it's so genius that it's like, I feel it's underrated. Yeah, for sure. I think that kind of reminds me of the Big Bang Theory joke where they keep making fun of Harvard for uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> being an engineer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The, yeah, yeah. Mostly Sheldon yeah, does that. But the yeah. brother of theoretical physics or something like that, he calls it. 
yeah yeah exactly but yeah it's uh, incredible engineering right, right and like what also i want to ask you like what do you think of the budget on this thing it's like 10 billion dollars that's like a lot of you know like a lot of funds and one thing goes wrong along anywhere along the sequence of deployment or uh, when it's being mm-hmm. when it's actually like assuming that everything goes well and when it's actually being functional and being used something goes wrong and it might just end up being the you know like not such a successful project because you know before you before i even mm-hmm. pass this on to you i also wanted to kind of just uh, give an idea of how this telco functions over here so basically uh, there are these heat shields the the silver foil like material that you see on the other side of the primary mirror are heat shields and basically for the telescope to be able to detect infrared light and get images uh, it has to operate at a very cold temperature and the problem with operating uh, at cold temperatures is the sun's light interferes and starts providing you energy so to pl- block that out uh, you know they have created basically a heat shield with five layers and these are really thin and made up of such materials that it stops all kind of heat uh, transmission to the mirror so it blocks out all the light and radiates it out instead of letting it get to the mirrors and just to give you an idea it basically uh, i think it's on the order of minus 230 degrees celsius or something like that on the side of the primary mirror so that's just how cold all the instruments are supposed to function at and what the mirror's temperature is supposed to be so anything goes wrong if some space debris or something uh, you know breaks through one of the mirror shields and it can immediately cause the project to uh, become dysfunctional or impact its efficiency so it just baffles me that we are attempting something of this magnitude at the stakes you know the stakes being where they are with this project and i mean of course nasa has its thorough testing process and everything's tested again and again and it's been years that it's been testing it so i get that we're prepared but it still kind of baffles me that uh, the stakes are high as they are so what do you think about this yeah so you you're exactly right like when hubble was launched uh, i think it was in 1991 i guess uh, it was orbiting the earth i mean it still is orbiting the earth so even if something goes wrong probably we can go there and fix it but this this is like 150 million kilometers away from the earth right like it's four times the distance uh, of the moon right yeah so even if something goes wrong like it's almost like impossible to go there and fix it uh, but i was seeing an interview of uh, the scientist like who worked on this project and uh, what she told like really inspired me even with hubble people thought that okay maybe we can't go there and fix it because even hubble had initial problems like when it was sent out there uh, its scopes weren't functioning well uh, but then they they thought that it was a huge waste of money and um, but later they you know got back to their drawing boards uh, they started a plan they went there they fixed the scopes so they got it working and i think it's been like more than two decades that hubble is out there and it still is working i think even with james webb telescope it would probably be the same it will be very hard very like way more uh, hard compared to hubble but i think they have redundancies built in that uh, or even if they don't have redundancies built in like they these people are like very high, highly driven 
and they will find a way to fix it and regarding the budget i think it's uh, what is it 10 billion dollars yeah right? <laughs> yeah. yeah so with the 10 billion dollar budget like if you see like how much nasa gets i think it's just 1.33 dollar per american per year that goes into this um right yeah so i i mean if when we are making discussions it, it, it still is uh, like i'm not undermining that but i think at the frontier of science like we shouldn't shy away from you know spending the money because the fruits of this is uh, it would be so huge like we won't be able to see it now but the fruits of the this will be so huge that i think in the end it will be worth it right i mean it basically literally changes the way we think of life and universe and everything around us the way we imagine exactly. things for example when we discover that okay uh, you know we are not just the only planets out there there are exoplanets there are planets orbiting other stars and it immediately changed our vision thinking that okay what other possible worlds there are there mm. are worlds that are completely made of diamond completely made of carbon completely made of gas almost everything except the core probably and so yeah i think it it changes so much about the way we think so that's de- like i agree with you on that definitely worth it uh you also yeah. mentioned hubble so you know i was also looking at that uh, about this project and the timeline of the life time of the project is roughly about 5 to 10 years uh, it's not really expected to be beyond that but i did come across some talk about rumors being that nasa is planning to create projects or create the technology to go to the l2 point and service it or refuel it if necessary and extend the lifetime so that's pretty exciting as well uh, like you said you know with the hubble that wasn't possible before and we got that done and Yeah. Uh, with the JWST this is impossible or it seems like it's not possible right now but i think when the time comes they will extend its lifetime <laughs> what do you think before coming to that i think it's better we address like how important this point is l2 point so basically uh, there are this lagrange points which are these sweet spots uh, in a system of two masses where at those speeds sweet spots of stability the gravitational pull of both the objects that are in the system cancel each other out so in this case it's the earth and the sun it can be the sun and the jupiter or sun and saturn whatever it is it's just a system of two masses so there are you can find this phi uh, lagrange points where the gravitational pull of both the objects cancel each other out so you could theoretically not even theoretically practically you could park your satellites or whatever objects over there without the need for orbital course corrections yeah or very very minimal course corrections exactly so with l1 l2 and l3 these are like semi stable points like you can go there and be be stable but if something even a tiny perturbance like knocks it out like you need some sort of orbital correction but l4 and l5 uh, that you're seeing on the screen like they are pretty stable like they are so stable that uh, even if they sway away from there which they generally don't but even if through external force if this way they will still be pulled back in that's the amount of gravitational pull that those points have so the reason that they even chose this l2 point like they could have like why didn't they choose l1 l2 l3 or uh, sorry uh, l1 l3 l4 or l5 uh, the reason is because one thing is they are measuring in ir so sun em- emits a ton of ir and they wanted to avoid that and that's why they have this huge uh, sun shield which is the size of a tennis court and l2 if you can see it's directly away from the sun it's behind the earth if you are looking from the point of view of the sun so it's directly behind the earth 
so they are trying to reduce the interference of the sun as much as possible and they have this uh, huge uh, sun shield too and um, yeah that l2 point is like pretty perfect for this sort of mission and even future missions where they don't want any interference from say the magnetosphere of the earth or um, like any the interference uh, from earth exactly so the l2 is a sweet spot and they have planned uh, or at least there, there are rumors that they would be definitely planning more missions which will be you know put in this l2 orbit so that it's very easy for them to pick up signals and without any disturbance basically right and speaking of rumors i also heard like there was one rumor that uh, nasa may be planning robots to refuel the craft after whatever like after 8 or 9 years or 10 years or whatever the time it is I mean okay. that would be that would be pretty cool to see to send robots to refuel the uh yeah the craft yeah yeah <laughs> it actually really kind of makes me think that you know the scale of what we're attempting to do and the kind of technology advancement that's happening in, in just a few years it's really astounding and I don't know for some reason like I couldn't help but think that what if Galileo who made one of the first telescopes ever you know imagine mm-hmm. what would he feel if he were to appear appear here today you know the day this craft is being launched and knowing what we are attempting and knowing what it would be capable of doing how would he feel or what would he think uh, i don't know it just kind of makes me really excited to imagine that yeah i know right i mean it will be so crazy for him to see the technological advances that we are making now but uh, there's another interesting thing to this many people believe that or think that galileo dis- invented the telescope first but apparently he wasn't the first one oh yeah uh, it was by this guy called hans lippershey and he was an eyeglass maker and he was telling that some random children like they they had come to his shop and to get eyeglasses and while he was making them he just uh, saw the children play with two lenses that that was just lying over there and uh, they were just holding those two lenses uh, together and they were trying to see something and just playing around and then he got this idea then he actually built the first telescope like a very small one uh, which magnified things three times and uh, yeah i think so and he filed a patent too so technically i think he he is the first person who discovered this telescope uh, oh, sorry invented the telescope but galileo i think one year later he heard about this he never saw the telescope but he's made his own which could magnify 20 times um the, yeah. than compared to the first one that that person made so yeah. yeah i mean he designed it without even seeing that and like he's a, of course he's a brilliant uh, man um and then he took that uh, to the senate and he showed it to them uh, yeah galileo is the first person to point it to the sky right so this person has liposhe even though he invented it like he didn't think about pointing it towards the sky because one thing is it was not as powerful as galileo's was but yeah uh, so that's an interesting bit yeah yeah for sure but yeah to to your point like it definitely will be so crazy whether it's hansel pushe or galileo to see that we've built a telescope of like 6.5 meters wide and then sent it 150 million kilometers from earth and we're operating it from here and you know making it unfold in space exactly blocking out <laughs> the sun's light and keeping it at super cold temperatures and pointing it to random dark spots out there and trying to get 
the first early beginnings of the universe yeah oh man he'll be freaked out he'll probably burn us at yeah. the stake <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does seem something magical like which is exactly like why i said you know it's exciting because it makes you think if today you could be transported a few years into the future not a few like whatever like maybe 300 or 400 years into the future mm-hmm. and the kind of things that were, would be being attempted or the kind of technologies that would seem normal or like everyday happenstance to people of that time it would just freak you out like yeah how is this possible or what what is being done and yeah that excites me that possibility excites me yeah yeah so, some day some day i guess <laughs> uh and you know we were talking about um how it would be so interesting to find out the things that we never even thought to ask like with james webb mm-hmm. telescope like we know like the first few things that we're going to look at uh which is at the you know beginning of the taking a glimpse at that first galaxies that were forming in those gas clouds uh and probably at the exoplanets um but even hubble like its purpose was to you know take take photographs of uh, all this uh, beautiful uh, gas clouds star system star clusters and all these things but uh, you know about mm-hmm. the hubble deep field right yeah so no one even ever thought of pointing hubble at that region of space so it's basically this dark empty region of space which seems like a huge void which was very uninteresting and like there's there's nothing over there and that's what they thought so at that time uh, there was this uh, director of uh, nasa was it director of nasa i think so yeah so this director used his director's discretionary power and uh, asked you know told them that okay we will pointed at this empty region of space where there's nothing to look at then like it was opposed by many people but he is the director what can you do so <laughs> they <laughs> yeah they pointed the telescope in that region and voila the what you're seeing now on the screen that's what it captured the hubble deep field as it is called so when they pointed it at that they could see this huge like thousands or millions of galaxies out there and uh, then we got to know that we had underestimated the number of galaxies that were there in the universe and we had to you know calculate it again to account for this uh, yeah now we know how many galaxies uh, there truly is so only because someone thought of doing something which logically doesn't make sense but they did it anyway we found uh, we found this very interesting thing and like this image is very famous the hubble deep field so i'm excited for such a thing to happen with james webb telescope as well yeah it's like literally bal- ballooning our imagination into something new yeah yeah that's true yeah and you mentioned like your you know it led us to the real number of galaxies or we got a better estimate of that and that's like hundreds of billions of galaxies with each with its hundreds of billions of stars each with its on average at least one planet and possibility of life on it so it's pretty cool yeah damn that's that's crazy actually so i think that i'm excited most for them to discover new area of physics i think that's what i'm excited most yeah yeah to learn something yeah yeah i mean um seeing something in ir so this is this like it's like a new window through which we are seeing our universe 
new pair of lenses kind of like literally also but <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so maybe we discover some particles or uh, like because of that a new area of physics is born yeah i mean i was also kind of uh, you know uh, listening to one of these scientists and they were mentioning how when they graduated as a astronomy student or something their focus was going to be like stellar explosions or something else and then because of kepler and these and hubble and other telescopes when exoplanets were finally discovered there was this whole new field of astronomy that got launched and so they had never even studied that thing because there was nothing to study at that time and today they're working on projects which involve primarily exoplanets so it's pretty cool knowing that you know like something that didn't even exist when you were studying and today you're researching it and working on projects that are working on that like you're at the frontier of discovery literally for the entire humanity yeah yeah that that's so unthinkable in one ways that in just the span of their career a new field was born and like they're already researching on it so probably people who are currently in high school or uh, in college maybe this james webb telescope is that for them like it opens up a new field of study when they are exactly. uh, yeah graduates and they start working on that yeah yeah So I just wanted to check one thing with you. Um so we know that this was a collaborative effort of NASA, Canadian Space Agency and the European Space Agencies, right? So mm-hmm. if this is a level of collaboration with science, do you see a future where everyone is, you know, more scientifically minded and uh, because of that there's more collaboration and there's more harmony I would say and not concerned about a future wherein there's no say racism or all these stuff they're mostly curious and like scientists they don't they don't think much about all this and even if you know about the atlas experiment so that happened in cern that's where you have your uh, large hadron collider so that was i think the biggest collaborative effort that involved people of uh, around like 40 countries and 200 different institutions and there were like 3000 scientific authors in that if, uh, in that experiment one experiment alone so that's the largest collaborative effort ever so seeing all this it makes me feel like hopeful about this that in the future if we have the scientific mindset that these uh, scientists have we won't be fighting over like petty things yeah for sure and i think it in large part it would matter uh, or you know uh, it would depend on how scientifically inclined we make our population um it's 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 all about some of it is also about like marketing and advertising well explaining mm-hmm. to the general public why this matters why it's important how we're doing it how far we've come what are the possibilities uh, you know that also kind of i think that's part of why nasa publicizes and markets so well like for example even yeah. the jwst i was watching that they've created a youtube channel just for that and you know through the years they've been making videos on how the telescope is coming along what's been happening how it will function what it would look like in space and so many things and it's so exciting so getting that public interest going on uh, that really helps make i mean we were talking about even shows like the big bang theory right that's also mm-hmm. another effort that make sure that the general public is uh, vested in scientific matters they understand it and they understand how 
progressive it is and once i think if that reaches some new heights then if the population is in general tuned to think that way a little more automatically these other things kind of come down you know which are more identity based like you know you identify exactly. as a person of this culture or this religion or this nation and um, so you're kind of die you know oppo- opposed to people from other nations or other cultures or races or religions so yeah i i share your optimism i think it will definitely go in that direction provided we continue to kind of uh form this effort in terms of education in terms of kind of uh you know getting science people science communication yeah exactly exactly thank you yeah yeah <laughs> you're welcome uh yeah i mean it needn't be that they should be interested in science also it's just if they have that mindset of the scientific thinking wherein they're concentrated about the end goal and like they're curious about it and not about the petty things of like who like where he or she is from and which culture they belong yeah um but yeah i think it's almost inevitable that you are inevitably interested in science if you have that kind of mindset exactly right good. yeah like like how much time and effort someone is willing to spend to know something might differ from person to person but everyone yeah. is curious like everyone is scientifically inclined i would say uh but like it just depends how much time or effort they're willing to spend so but if you you know patiently explain certain things in a simplistic way i'm pretty sure you would get anyone listening to you interested if it was done the right way yeah for sure yeah i think we all have sir, those examples in from our childhood where one of our teachers or like and some random person also they would have explained some concept in such simplicity that something just clicked and you'll see how beautiful that concept is or you have that exactly. euphoria of that you understood that and that makes you learn that thing or whatever the other thing even more right for sure man yeah uh, hopefully there we see many of this uh, collaborative efforts in the future and i i think any project of this size would require uh, such collaboration yeah and who knows it might even be extraterrestrial collaboration you know Uh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean not just life from other planets even we could expand to another planet and then it could be a collaboration between earth and ah. mars and <laughs> yeah but but that's like the extraterrestrial collaboration is probably a whole another episode <laughs> or something <laughs> ah yeah <laughs> but we are not exterminated by them yeah yeah <laughs> wow dark dark i would say yeah <laughs> you're going to think but, about all the possibilities yeah that's true but anyways uh, it's exciting to think about that point in the future where that might happen who knows maybe a thousand years from now maybe the jwst will kind of lead us to a step in that direction who knows even though it's not primarily made for detecting signs of life uh, mm-hmm. but but who knows like like we said you know it's like walking into a room and turning on a light so who knows what we're going to find yeah yeah i'm really excited for that yeah yeah let's see what happens let's stay tuned and uh, i think uh, guys y'all can also watch the live telecast uh, if you missed it so go ahead and check that out of the launch and you probably find some videos in our description for how the the craft is going to operate and we'll put some of the cool links over there so you guys can check it out Yeah yeah uh you can check those links out. And actually you know what like uh just few moments back you mentioned that 
it's so crazy to imagine what's going to be there after a thousand years from now so that was making me think so i was thinking this while you were saying the other uh, lines what had happened a thousand years ago and like how far we have come from there and you know i can see that there was like huge genocide assassination plunder there were this conquests and um, all these things going on like a thousand years back and um, there's this interesting website called onthisday.com and you just give it a date and it will tell you what happened on this day whatever 1000 years back or 2000 years back whatever so apparently there was this battle of swalder in the baltic sea so some king uh, like they was it was in the viking age and they were having a great greatest naval battles of all the time uh, of the viking age so it's so crazy to think that 1000 years back it was that and now 1000 years from that time they're sending huge ass telescopes to lagrangian points and what not all this jargons <laughs> yeah pretty crazy i mean who knows like some somebody yeah. that's what like it makes you think that somebody in the future 1000 years from now will probably go on a website or something similar of that kind and uh, look into what was happening a thousand years from now and they'll come across this random unknown event probably nobody would have or like not a lot of people would have heard of that a telescope called the James yeah. Webb Space Telescope was launched on this day a thousand years back and these are the images it captured like who knows it probably be lost in all the thousand year history but right now it seems so significant to us exactly ah damn <laughs> so much information yeah so many years worth of information centuries uh, yeah uh, almost a millennia thousand yeah. years exactly one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> one <laughs> okay i think we'll end it here feel free to leave your thoughts comments down below if you're on youtube and if you're listening to us on other platforms like google podcast or spotify or amazon music uh, you can reach out to us on instagram at curiosphere so yeah Thanks for tuning in and have a great new year.